news drives markets. And every day, Montel's experienced reporters are on top of the stories that shape European market developments. Can you afford to miss out? Go to montelnews.com for the latest price-driving stories and a free trial. Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing energy matters in an informal setting. For this week's episode, we recorded an interview with Vincent Verbecke, member of the Executive Committee, Global Energy Management at Engie. He talked about his company, where Engie plans to grow, the PPAs, the coming winter, potentially a tough decade ahead, but he assured us the lights would not go out. Always great to have you with us, Vincent. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for inviting me. Always a pleasure to talk to you and to Montel. So how do you see the current market and the role of Engie in it? The market is moving very fast, but maybe to start with a quick word on Engie and our strategy. You know, our purpose is to act to accelerate the transition towards a zero carbon world. So carbon neutrality and the energy transition is at the heart of what we do. And our strategy is based on two very strong pillars. On the one end, we are developing renewable assets. And on the other end, we focus on infrastructure. And on renewable, just to give you one figure, I do not want to flood you with with figure. We want to add an extra four gigawatt of extra capacity per year going forward. So this is this is quite 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 an important number. That's globally. That's globally. That's correct. So specifically now focusing on on the global energy management business unit. So GEM, global energy management. We are the trading arm of uh, of the group. So we are a global business unit. We present in 16 countries. We have trading operations in Americas, in Asia, and in Europe. And what, what is very specific about us is that unlike our peers, we have chosen for a decentralized organization. That means that we want to be as close as possible to our clients and to our stakeholders. And our strategy in a nutshell is very simple, very straightforward. We want to be greener, we want to go further, we want to be leaner, and we want to do it together. Let me first emphasize on the greener, because this is at the core of our exchange. Our ambition is to clearly be the leading green midstreamer on green power, naturally, but also on green gases. That means that as a trading company, as a, as a trading and energy management company, we will be sitting between the ones who produce green energy and the ones who consume green energy, our clients. The second pillar of our strategy is further. Of course, today we have strongholds, geographical strongholds. So Northwestern Europe is our basis, but we want to expand geographically significantly. So we are developing our activities in the US. We are developing activities in Iberia, in UK. So all these markets are growing rapidly and we clearly want to position ourselves in this market. On the leaner side, this is about digitalization. So we had the occasion to discuss that in a previous exchange, Richard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Trading activities are evolving quickly. So digitalization is, is at the core of what we do, and we want to pursue that. And together, that's uh, echoing to our people because we believe that our people make the difference in the trading business. So now on the greener and our ambitions on the, uh, on, on the green energy. So I must say that, you know, over the last two years, 
we have done quite a lot. To give you a few numbers, we, ha we have signed more than 50-50 terawatt hour of, of PPAs over the last two years globally. And this is growing. Over next year, we want to double that figure. By PPAs, we mean off-take contracts with producers, so with what we refer to as being upstream PPAs. So we buy the electricity that is generated by renewable assets, as well as downstream PPAs. So basically contracts with end customers. And let me be specific on this because I think that the PPA business is evolving quite rapidly and we see, we see some changes in there. So on the upstream side first, we see, of course, all technologies being developed. So offshore wind parks, onshore wind and, and solar. And all three technologies have a great future in the energy system. So we have signed PPAs with offshore wind developers, with onshore developers, with solar developers, with hydro producers. And this is only the beginning of it because we see governments slightly but surely moving away from subsidies and asking developers to develop assets without subsidies. And of course, for asset developers, there will be a very strong demand for companies like us to provide them with the right risk management solutions, allowing them to de-risk their projects. So that's on the upstream side. Where's the growth area here? Where do you see the most exciting markets for ONG? We see Iberia as a, as, as a very exciting market. France, Italy, the US are, are exciting. With the new president-elect, US will be, will be tremendous, a tremendous market again on the renewable side, just to name a few. I want to talk about the other side of the equation, which is the down, downstream side, which is the client side. And on the client side, we see, we see things evolving as well, because typically, you know, the, the GAFAs, the tech companies, they were leading the way in signing PPAs. And now what we see, we see a, a growing demand from industrial companies. So the chemical industry, for instance, is moving big. And to me, the game is changing. So meaning that the demand for PPAs on the client side is growing exponentially. And in addition to that, we also see small and medium-sized companies asking for PPAs. In a nutshell, the business is growing big time, both on the upstream side and on the downstream side. And also in terms of uh, products, you know, in terms of risk management products that we offer to our clients, this is evolving as well. We have some, some clients asking for fixed price products. We have some clients asking for more complex structure with gaps, floors, or, or indexed prices. So we see also there the maturity increasing with our clients and stakeholders. So on the downstream as well, Vincent, is that uh, you're talking Iberia, the US, France, are these the growth areas or is this more global in scope? I think the trend is occurring in every geographies, but probably at a different pace. So Germany, I didn't name Germany so far, but Germany for sure is also a great country for our development. Benelux, France will, will be present. Italy, Iberia as well, UK. But when I, when I say each country has its own pace, I mean, going green, it's, uh, it's something that is happening everywhere. But the regulation is different from one country to another one. 
I give you an example. Germany was probably pioneering that energy transition. So right now in Germany, what do we see? We see a lot of capacities going out of the feed-in tariff and the and the first CFD contracts. You know, so we're talking about two gigawatts per year of capacity that goes out of subsidy in Germany. So of course, that means that for midstreamers like us, this is a big market. But is it a very competitive market as well, Vincent? I mean, there must be other midstreamers like yourselves or maybe even involved in similar similar ideas trying to trying to capture all these, especially in Germany, some of these some of these facilities that are at the end of their subsidy lifetime. For sure, for sure. And this is welcome because because competition is good for is good for the clients. It's it's good for the business, it's good for the clients, it's good for the asset developers. So indeed, we will not be alone on these markets. Other companies will, will also uh, try to grasp their share of the cake, for sure. But we believe that we have some significant assets uh, to be successful in that green merchant activity. And one of them is that if we look at our portfolio, it's very diverse. You know, In Europe, to give you a number, we have a portfolio of 25,000 megawatt under management. And within that portfolio, we have flexible generation assets. So hydro generation, among others, that basically allow us to combine and optimize the combination with renewable energy in order to provide our customers with the product that they want to consume. So it can be, we can do as produced, we can do as consumed, we can do base load. So I'm not saying that this is a blue ocean. Huh? Far from that, Richard. Mm. <laughs> Green is the new black. <laughs> we, for sure, we will not be alone. But you know, at NG, we welcome the competition, and uh, and and we believe that uh, in some in some specific geographies, we have some assets that will allow us to be successful. So to come back on the on the geographical focus that we will have, northwestern Europe. So by northwestern Europe, I mean. Benelux, Germany, France, this is our stronghold. So for sure, we will want to keep a, a strong position in there. Mm. In terms of our development areas, we will push big time in Iberia, in the UK, in the US, and in Italy. We believe that these are, these are tremendous markets. I wanted to add also one point is that because we, we're talking green and this conversation is fascinating, obviously, Richard, green is not only power, actually. Green is also about gas, and we talked a lot about green power, but in order to achieve in Europe carbon neutrality, green power will not be enough. We will need all technologies contributing to this zero carbon system, meaning that green gases will be equally important. And on the gas, green gas midstream business, that is entirely to be invented, we will want to be positioned. And very recently, and we are very proud of that, we signed a, a very interesting biomethane deal whereby we bought green gases from a green gas producer and we sourced a small B2B client who was willing to consume green gases. So it's a first of a, of a kind deal, but I'm sure there will be many others to come. Very interesting, isn't it? But I- uh, I think hydrogen, you know, is talked about as the way to decarbonize industry, for example. But uh, if I return to 
the PPA market and particularly in Europe. What some people have talked about, there's a fear of kind of price cannibalization because the success of the PPAs, you have more and more renewables coming on board, which then in turn drives the wholesale prices down, which maybe makes some of the PPA markets look less attractive. Is this something that you're concerned uh, about? Of course, you know, the more you build renewable, the more the effect you were referring to, so price cannibalization, this is, this is a risk. And as a midstreamer, this is a risk that we will be keen to onboard to a certain extent. And once again, why, why are we in a position to do so? It's because we have our flexible assets that nicely complement you know, those renewables. But for sure, and, and that's why, I mean, massively pushing for renewable development, so meaning wind onshore, solar wind onshore is not enough. It's not enough. We need to build also flexible assets in order to make sure that those renewable assets enter the market as efficiently, as economically as possible. And also, we need to work on the demand side, making sure that consumers also can flexibilize their own consumption in order to adapt their consumption pattern and have it match as much as possible to the renewable production pattern. You know, this is, this is by acting both on the supply side and on the demand side that we will achieve carbon neutrality in the most efficient way. I want to come back on that because helping customers to adapt their consumption, in order to do that, you need to give transparency to the customers. So the traceability of the energy is something that is very big. And on this one, we have developed a, a solution whose name is TO, the Energy Origin that allows you to, uh, to track the origin of the energy that you consume on an hourly basis. So it's, it's much more precise that guarantees of origin. It allows you to track down what you consume on an hourly basis. So which technology and which asset on an hourly basis. So I think it's a great solution for clients who want to go a step further in their greenification roadmap. So this is a kind of rival product to guarantees of origin. Is this uh, something that you would be pushing to either replace guarantees of origin or would it coexist with them? It's going to coexist. And once again, because I hear sometimes a lot of bashing against guarantees of origin, I personally do believe that guarantees of origin is good because we we need something. We, We need something. So having something is better than having nothing. Is the system perfect? No. Can we do more? Yes. At NG, what do we propose? We have a trustability solution that is there for our clients. By the way, on energy, so meaning on power, but also on gas, and tomorrow on hydrogen. So we have a trustability system that is there to support our clients in that. But this is also coming in the Renewable Energy Directive, the Mark II, isn't it? I think there's the, there's going to be big focus on on guarantees of origin, especially for hydrogen. So um, in some senses, maybe you're preempting that. But we also see in some countries, uh, Vincent, that there's renewable tenders and auctions, you know, subsidies in another form, basically, aren't they? And um, so, for example, in Spain and in Poland, uh, will you be active in these? We will. We will be active in that. So as once again, I, I want here um, answer as a the trading company. So on, on this one, of course, we will be looking very carefully at the asset developers who will win those auctions. When these auctions take place, some of them are successful, others are not. 
And so for us as a trading company, we will be working with the winners of those auctions and basically those, the winners of these auctions, they will need, you know, to market their energy and we will be there to help them. But also, I believe that there will be a tremendous potential for the asset developers who will not be successful in these auctions. So, because that means that they will miss the first order subsidy, if I can call it that way. But it doesn't mean that their project is dead. Maybe there is a way to make those projects fly on a pure merchant basis. And on this one, we will be helping them. So losers can be winners, Vincent. Let, let me phrase it this way. There might be lucky losers. <laughs> the lucky losers, exactly. Yeah, so. so you'll be eyeing their projects and maybe helping them to go on a more merchant basis. Exactly, exactly. We're kind of running out of time a little bit here, Vincent, but I, I want to ask you, you're based in, in Brussels. There seems to be recurring issues every winter that there's a fear of supply squeeze and that the lights may go out. Do you think these are over-egged, exaggerated, or scaremongering even, or is it a realistic uh, scenario? I want to articulate a little bit my answer because, so first of all, if we talk electricity, everybody knows that the uh, electricity system is a European one. So in order to ask oneself the question, okay, will the light go out or not? We need to look at that from a European perspective. If we look a little bit at what happened recently, I think that we observed in Q4, a very, very decent return or a very decent increase of the availability of nuclear power plant in France. Okay, so meaning that the risk for Q4 is much lower. Now, if we look at, uh, at Q1, so this winter, once again, if we look at Q1 and we, and we look at the overall European supply demand balance, it's true that the nuclear availability in France is a little bit on the lower end. And so, if I can phrase it this way, we will be faced with the usual risks. So meaning, what if there is a significant underperformance of some nuclear power plants, especially in France? What if it's getting very cold? Because we know that in some countries, the thermosensitivity of the demand is very high. And in addition to that, there is a potential for early closure of some coal plants in Germany. So I would say that the uncertainty is certainly important. Will the light go out this winter? I don't believe so. But as usual, you know, the winter on the power side is always a bit of a special period, you know. And I want to say a word also on a more longer term basis because, and I think people tend to forget that, but the next decade is going to be amazingly important for the power sector. If we look at the capacities that will go out of the system in the next decade, we are talking about almost a hundred of gigawatts that will go out of the power system. So we're talking about nuclear capacity phase out, of course, like in Belgium or like in, in some other countries. We are talking about coal plant closures, like in Germany. And we are talking also about the end of life of some aging gas fire power plants. So there is a huge amount of infrastructure that will need to be replaced. So my conviction is that in the winters to come, structurally, the supply demand is going, is going to get tighter and tighter. And of course, you know, governments are putting schemes in place in order to replace that controllable capacity. 
amongst other things, the Belgian government has decided to move ahead with the CRM, so Capacity Remuneration Mechanism in Belgium. And I hope that that will help bring additional controllable capacity in the European market. But in a nutshell, I think that the upcoming years will be will be interesting. I'm sure they will. And uh, uh, just a final question for you, Vincent. In recent years, a very or maybe two years ago, a very hot topic was blockchain. Is it dead or is it just uh, a sleeping giant? It's absolutely not dead. I told you the third pillar of our strategy is about digital. And blockchain uh, has, has a role to play in, in the digitalization of the energy sector. And we as a, as a trading company, we will be using that technology. I give you two examples where we believe uh, blockchain uh, can, be, can be very interesting for us. Blockchain can be very interesting for us in order to streamline our deal confirmation processes and our back office processes. So I think that, that that's going to be an important topic for trading companies, especially if we go uh, into the space of peer-to-peer trading. Blockchain will play a role, I'm sure, in the, in the future years around that. The second point, and that I explained that already, I think it's about traceability of the energy. I think that blockchain offers technologically some great advantages in terms of certification that the information that you present to a customer, to a stakeholder, is certified and that this certification is done in a very efficient way, so cost-efficient way and in a trusted way because we know security is is of the essence when you you talk trustability. Vincent, I'm sure we'll talk again very soon uh, and I'd love to discuss with you at the end of next year to see if you reached all those ambitious targets. You're welcome, Richard. More than welcome. And I hope, you know, I, I really cherish the little hope that maybe we could do that physically. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. Over a little beer in Brussels. That'd be perfect. You'll be my guest. I'll take you up on that, Vincent. With pleasure. Excellent. Okay. Thank you very much for joining the Monto Weekly Podcast, Vincent. With pleasure. That's about all from the Monto Weekly Podcast this week, listeners. You can follow the podcast on our own Twitter account, where you can direct any suggestions, questions, or ideas for potential guests. You can also send us an email to podcast at montelnews.com. Lastly, remember to keep up to date with all that's happening in the energy markets on Montel News. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcast from, and please rate us and review us if you can. That only helps us to improve. Thank you, and goodbye. Goodbye.